We abuse land because we regard it as a commodity belonging to us. When we see land as a community to which we belong, we may begin to use it with love and respect. My name is Stuart Richardson. Landscapes of Consciousness will highlight those who fight to protect the land, a sharing of hopeful visions and stories that bring us back to the land, a place that heals and replenishes us in a world that is in rapid transition. My hope is that we come to know we are a single whole with each other and nature, that when we hurt nature, we are hurting ourselves. I am very privileged to be joined by Charles Borland. Charles Borland is a longtime social activist, a political activist, a longtime host of Wake Up with Co-op, and still does the discussion program at Co-op Radio, and he's uh, generously given me some of his time. Good afternoon, Charles. Uh, good afternoon, uh, Stuart. And um, let me uh, just start by wishing all of your listeners a very successful 2017 of resistance. Fantastic. Well, let's. Speaking of resistance, we have a very articulate and uh, uh, new prime minister who makes nice platitudes at the UN about climate change and about his responsibility to the future generations. And then he comes back and he approves Kinder Morgan expansion, uh, which is going to increase our tank traffic tenfold. While about ninety-three percent of British Columbians disagree with that decision, where are we? Um, when it comes to this new prime minister, when are people going to kind of see through this facade that's going on? Well, Stuart, the, 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 the truth of the matter is that the financial oligarchs, which Prime Minister uh, Justin Trudeau represents, same as the uh, new regime in the United States, it represents very definite sections of these oligarchs, these very well powerful companies, including, as you know, ExxonMobil, which now is the uh, foreign minister of the USA, or the, what they call the Secretary of State, uh, the, the former CEO of, of um, uh, ExxonMobil. Now, these elements, these cliques of individuals are in a very deep crisis because their system has exhausted itself at literally every level, Stuart. They cannot rationally plan an economy that will meet the needs of a modern society. They bump up against all the time the very private interests of particular groups. Now, you mentioned the oil question, for example, of Justin Trudeau, his decision to do the uh, Kinder Morgan pipeline. Well, it's irrational, as you point out, from every perspective. First of all, to ship bitumen itself is a bit criminal because it's such a toxic substance that to ship it any distance in a pipe or in it by any mode of transportation doesn't make a lot of sense. Secondly, as you point out also, we need to get off these fuels and transition to a uh, renewable energy, non-carbon energy. It's known. This is a known fact. And he, as you say, gives lip service to this. But here's the rub, Stuart. When it comes to decision-making, the other incompetence, the other block, if you will, or the other anachronism, out-of-date reality, is how decisions are made politically in the society. We know that politics really is nothing more than the concentrated economic interests of contending groups in the society. 
And that's what political struggle is. That's what class struggle is. So in our modern society, it's divided between, on the one hand, an enormous working class, the most disciplined, the most educated, the most trained of which are the industrial workers in large-scale modern scientific industry, manufacturing, transportation, extraction of resources, all of these, uh, you know, and then all of the uh, service areas, healthcare, education, and so on. So we have, on the one hand, this enormous body of educated, skilled working people in the society in Canada. On the other hand, we have a very small, oligarchic, wealthy group of people, mainly linked with foreign corporations like ExxonMobil, Shell, and so on, these oil companies, and in fact, Kinder Morgan, which is as you know, it comes out of, uh, what's the name of that, uh, Enron scandal yeah. years ago, right? Mm-hmm. These big capitalists, Koch brothers and others. Now, so here's the issue. The crisis is in the political mechanisms that are designed for decision-making, and they are anachronistic, they're out of date, which means that decision-making is totally in the hands of people like Trudeau, who are directly linked to these oligarchs, who have very definite private interests, on the one hand, and this huge section of society, the working class, the people who are left out of decision-making, have no practical input into the decisions that are made. All the power lies in the Prime Minister's office. He struck a committee on democratic reform. They went around the country. Overwhelmingly, Canadians said they wanted a new system of more proportional, but he just mothballed it. So where do we go? How do we overcome the cynicism and apathy that this kind of system creates in the people? Well, that's a very important question, Stuart. And I'm afraid the answer is a lot of very hard work on the part of activists and uh, people who are in the resistance movement to build their own institutions I lived from the 60s through the 70s, all the movements that were extant at that time, and Stuart, so much energy was put in to building resistance to the war in Vietnam, to all the repressive measures, to the civil rights movement, and to the national movement for liberation in Quebec, to the indigenous movement in Canada, and so on and so forth. But most often than not, the energy and the work that was accomplished gave rise to no strong organization with its own aim, its own vision, and its own commitment to creating new political mechanisms for empowering the people. All these old mechanisms, I'm sorry to say, proportional representation is not going to save us. All kinds of capitalist states have proportional representation. The party system is part of the way these oligarchs rule. This is the old method. So what do we need? We need workers, groups of of people who will write and discuss and organize and be on the streets and give rise to their institutions, their own media, like yourself, in the, you know, expanding the possibilities of expression and articulation of ideas, new ideas, revolutionary ideas that will take the people out of the difficult circumstance that we're in now. And these people that you, excuse me, that you mentioned who are politicians who make false promises, this is part of the corruption of the old. 
And so people have to turn their attention to, okay, guys, how do we build our new own organizations and new relationships within them? Relationships based on cooperation, relationships based on freedom of conscience, very, very important, Stuart. The freedom to think your own thoughts and articulate your own thoughts, this is a huge human right that is under direct assault by what I would call these rising fascist forces in the United States of America and around the world who want to repress thought, who want to repress the new, and so we're in a life and death battle. And I, and I want to interject here, if you don't mind me, Stuart, on this question of empowerment and democracy and decision-making because it touches on one of the most crucial life and death decisions facing the entire humanity. And that is the question of war versus peace. Now, many people are not putting their minds to the huge arms race, for example, which is going on right under our noses, in virtual secret in the sense that nobody's really talking about it, except if you go on YouTube and search it out. There's an enormous arms race going off the coast of China right now between China and uh, United States, Japan, and so on and so forth. These countries are in a life and death arms race which will lead to war. And so the question is, in terms of doing all the other tasks that humanity has to do and solve all of the practical problems that humanity has to solve, we need time, and that means we need governments who are anti-war governments. So the question of having an anti-war Canadian government, like these environmentalists are not, in my opinion, linking sharply enough the question of control of our resources with the question of control of our foreign policy and control of our independence as a country so that we don't have to kowtow to NATO and send 800 soldiers over to Latvia or Air Force to bomb Libya, as was done shamelessly, with even the support, I have to say, of the NDP in the House of Commons. These are terrible uh, attacks on the security of Canadians. And so the question of war and peace is very much tied in with the question of environment. Can't find anything more devastating to the environment than war. To the rights of women, you can't find anything more devastating to the rights of women than war. It's an open call for rape and, and brutality. And uh, war is the, the greatest evil for families, children, and women. And you can't find a greater cause of impoverishment than war. You just need to look at what has happened to Libya and Iraq and to Syria. So the question of war and peace has to be a centerpiece in creating the alternative uh, programs, the alternative direction for the economy, for empowerment, for the people's rights and human rights. And there's no greater violation also of human rights than war, because war means fascism, war means repression of the right to think your own thoughts and to oppose war. We know how many people were repressed in wars in the past for opposing wars of their countries. So, so this, these things, uh, Stuart, are, are all, if you will, interconnected. They're great movements of the people. And as I said at the opening remark, this is a year of resistance. 2017, after all, it's a centennial year of the Russian Revolution, as well as the 150th anniversary of Canada. 
And uh, these two events have <laughs> deserve quite a lot of discussion in themselves. It's also the 50th anniversary, from my political perspective, a little pamphlet called Necessity of Change for Change, which was written in August 1967, to the youth and students of Canada of the time and the world, actually, the conference was held in London, to discuss, okay, guys, how do we use the energy of the students of the 60s to build organization that will last? And I'm very proud to say they did give rise to a small political organization, the Communist Party of Canada, Marxist Leninist, which is completely at the service of the working class. It has no private interest whatsoever. It has no interest in senatorial positions, in, in uh, MP positions. We want to assist workers to empower themselves and to directly take control of their sectors of the economy and head in a new direction that sees the needs, the rights of all, and the needs of all are fulfilled and protected. It's really hard to get people to a level of thinking about these critical issues. How can we break through what I would call the noise and the static? Um, I'm taking a course now with the Vietnam era and how the government used such strong state propaganda to um, have the kind of evil ones and, and the good ones. So on a community level, how do we reach out and, and kind of break through this noise and, and um, infotainment? Well, that's a very important question you're posing, Stuart. And uh, there's nothing like talking to people, you know. Uh, one of the things our activists do, and I've done myself for many years, is knock on doors and have conversations with people. Now, usually that's limited to the short period of an election. And I have to say, we fall and pray to that on occasion as well. Uh, more too often than not, actually. But we are making an effort now to make a systematic talking to people in neighborhoods, getting community groups together to discuss no hidden agenda, no hidden program. What are the problems facing the people? People know, you see, one of the things, as you point out, is that there's all this noise and propaganda and diversion, let's face it, from pornography to sports. And because they don't want the people to puzzle through, think through, argue through uh, with their brains. And thinking is hard work, you know. And uh, to think about these issues. But when you get people talking, Stuart, they do talk. And they talk about their real life problems. And they know solutions. You talk to healthcare workers, they'll tell you what they needed in the hospital. You want a good hospital? Go talk to the cleaners. They'll tell you, you want a good hospital? Keep the place clean. And uh, similarly with every sector, steel workers know how to make steel. They love making steel. They've been trained at it. And they are fighting like, like hell. And in fact, the steel workers are a very good example of a model. And I'm thinking of local 1005 in particular in Hamilton, the Stelco workers who've been fighting this uh, damnable, what do they call this act where you bankruptcy. And then they go in and they fleece these companies and they steal the pensions of the workers, they, they destroy their livelihood, they, they knock down their wages and their working conditions. And you see, there the workers have begun to push forward their interests and their demands with their own organization, with their own thinking, with their own media, their leaflets, their writing, their newspapers. And, uh, and yourself, like this work on the radio is so important Stuart, it's all hard work. There's no 
easy road here. But when has history been easy? My parents' generation had to defeat Adolf Hitler. You think that was easy? Oh my God. This was life and death, and especially for the people who bore the brunt of it. You know, on the Eastern Front, there are 27 million Soviet citizens lost their lives. This was life and death, but it was a huge historical advance for humanity. And every generation has to make their contribution. If our con generation and the ch our children's generation and grandchildren's generations can at least stop the war, stop imperialist war, elect or, or create some anti-war governments by their, by their actions, this would be an historical contribution of immense proportions. So the answer to your question is work hard to build your own institutions and organizations, your newspapers, your, your radio stations, your political discussion groups, neighborhood discussion groups. Why not get out and meet the neighbors? Much of Vancouver, as you know, is very ghettoized. We have people from many nationalities living here. We don't know each other very well. The other day, I'll just tell you a tiny little anecdote. I was sitting in the cancer ward. I, I have an illness. And, and I was sitting next to a Palestinian woman who started weeping because her husband had cancer and he was, had rather bad news. You know. And I put my hand on her arm. And I said, no, no, my sister. What's wrong? What's, what's wrong? And we started a wonderful conversation. We talked about Palestine. We talked about Canada. We talked about the struggle for justice, the fight for the rights of all. And we were like brothers and sisters, you know, like brothers and sisters. We're people from opposite ends of the earth, for goodness sakes. Different language back. Fortunately, she spoke English because I certainly don't speak Arabic. But, but, you know, Stuart, there is we social love that binds us together as fellow human beings, irrespective of our nationality, our language, our religious beliefs, our personal beliefs. But we have common problems to solve, whether it be health care or stopping a war. And this requires the empowerment of the people to be the decision makers. So often you hear, oh, well, we have to go to the decision makers and ask, you know, persuade the decision makers not to have not to have uh, Kinder Morgan. Excuse me? The decision maker is Kinder Morgan. Oh, the Christ, are we joking? What are we, <laughs> what kind of farce is this? They are the decision makers. They make the goddamn decisions. They ram them down our throats. And here's the thing, Stuart. Because they're so bankrupt and because they're in such deep crisis, they don't have government of laws anymore. They do not have government of laws. What they have is government of police powers. Because the day that government says Kinder Morgan is going through and you start really resisting it or the peace dam is going through and you really start resisting, you say, no, the people of British Columbia are not going to have that river stolen away from us. And they act, well, guess what? They're going to call the RCMP. They're going to call the armed forces. They even said that, that we'll call the armed forces if people get you know, uh, strong and active. But Canadians have got to wake up. I mean, are we going to become a, a people? Are we going to become a force in the world that people can respect? They say, oh yeah, those Canadians are very nice, but they also fight. And uh, I have great faith in the American working class that they will rise up and fight, but they've got miles to go. We have miles to go. The people of the world have miles to go. But we are all connected as human beings, and I'm quite persuaded that we will get through this crisis 
but only with effort, Stuart. It's not going to come easy. Sacrifice and hard work. So if you're looking for an easy way, you know, what can I tell you? You know, there's the, there's the uh, Super Bowl game. Uh, it'll be already played out by the time you're broadcasting. But there you have diversion of diversions, right? Uh, two billionaire football clubs fighting it over <laughs> advertising revenue. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The whole world's going to hell in a basket. Spending billions of dollars on armaments. Haven't got enough money to get the homeless people off the streets. You know, come on, come on. What's going on here? We can turn this around, but it will take work. And you know what? It's, there's a slogan that says, I don't want a revolution if it doesn't have dancing in it or something like that. It's a joy, you know. Working for a new life, working for a new world, it's a great joy. I've had decades at it, Stuart. And even though my health is in a rather frail situation right now, I look forward to the end of my days fighting for this new reality, knowing that I'm but one part of one generation of many, many generations has taken humanity up to this point and must take humanity over the next set of mountains in order to fully emerge as human beings. You can smell it. You can smell it. I can, anyhow. I can smell the pastures of a new world and, uh, and uh, the creation of the working class and peoples to build really something you could call humane, human, based on love, on solidarity, and, and, and eliminating greed and racism and chauvinism and all this. Male, this male egotism, military bullshit. We want a new and better life, and we will get it with hard work and hard struggle, Stuart. Absolutely. If we rely on the professionals, these are the people who brought our environment to collapse. If we rely on the professional class, they're the ones who pushed us through that financial crisis. And as you mentioned, the terrible inequality, homelessness. This is the professional class. Uh, it's the working class that lifts us up and that always has. And, and I know you've been involved for years and you've touched on it a little bit, but why? Why, Charles? Why do you fight? What is the kind of the engine behind your activism? Well, that's a thanks, Stuart. That's a nice question to end off with because it, it comes precisely from the struggle of the working class that I was born into. My father was uh, of Irish descent in Liverpool, went to sea at age 15, was a non-educated, you can say wage slave, you know, like those guys shoveling coal into the Titanic in the movie. That's what he did for a living. Then he jumped ship in the United States and he became an organizer of seamen was one of the founding organizers of the National Maritime Union in 1937 in the United States of America. And they fought, you know, organized throughout the war. And, um, and my mother was similarly, she came from a poor, uh, her, her parents were shopkeepers in, a, in an African-American ghetto in, uh, excuse me, Louisville, Kentucky. I found out that's the, the hometown of my hero, Muhammad Ali. Anyhow, it was, she came from that environment, and they joined the communist movement because in those days the Soviet Union was a rising power. It was doing the five-year plans and so on, so they had hope. They didn't have a lot of education, but they had militancy and communism, but that got betrayed. And unfortunately, we had to live through that betrayal of the Soviet Union, the collapse of it, and the people responsible for it, the Khrushchevs and the Brezhnevs and these other gangsters. Unfortunately, that was a huge loss, no question about it. 
But the fighting spirit of my parents' generation, and especially their passion to defeat Hitler in the united front against fascism in World War II, that has been the fuel of my fiery determination to participate. My father raised me with this slogan, never desert the working class. Stick with the workers. Now, does that mean the intellectuals and the, and the artists and so on don't have a role to play? Of course, they have a huge role to play. Look at Paul Robeson, giant of a man. Now, he's a minority, but he stood up with the workers. And this is the key. He was with the Welsh miners. He was with the English working class. He was with the workers of the United States. And he was a great artist, intellectual. Others have been in the movement as well. The communists, the Curries, the famous atomic scientists, they were progressive people. Many, many people joined. But here's the thing. That strata of society doesn't usually come into action unless the workers are organized, unless the workers are in motion. And they were in the 30s, and they were in the 40s, Stuart, and they were in the 50s. And that's the movement that the workers need to get going again, get that engine going again. It will attract the best of the intellectuals. It will attract the best of the uh, academics to its side. Always there will be those looking for the six-digit income, you know, things and so on. But, hey, and then once the workers have empowered themselves and they are the decision makers, they'll ensure that the sons and daughters of all the ordinary people on the earth get the best possible education so they can join that intellectual strata. But as part of a movement of the entire society to lift the material and cultural well-being of everybody in it. Any final thoughts about the year ahead, what's coming up, what to expect? Well, yes, uh, uh, you know, from the perspective of those of us who are in the resistance movement and are building various things, um, my party has uh, started a project now to build a national office in Ottawa. We're very proud of that. Because, you know, we, we, like we give a call, we say, well, workers need their own independent organizations. Well, you're not much of an organization if you don't have your own independent organization and your, you know, your office and, your, and so on. We, and we have, uh, so we have a big project to, to get that going. And, uh, and also we've been organizing discussion groups. And we, and we give a call to all the activists, brothers and sisters, sisters and brothers, Let's stay together, unite together, discuss things, debate things, but keep our right to our thoughts and our capacity to articulate our conscience. Don't suppress people because they're communists. Don't suppress people because they're Muslim. Don't suppress people because of this or that excuse. In building our movement, it has to be a movement that is profoundly democratic and based on a social love for the society to move it forward. And that's a way we will change ourselves as well, Stuart, in all of this. Thank you so much, Charles, for being so generous all these years and always making yourself available. And even in um, your little under the weather, you're still doing it. And I think it's a brilliant idea to have like an intellectual headquarters where people can um, go there and, and experience different ideas and, and uh from that a pivot from that place so uh, thank you so much for doing this and uh, we'll speak again soon well you're very welcome Stuart and I'll conclude with what I said at the very beginning listeners 
please make this 2017 a great year of resistance. Let's go all out. Let's have success. Let's build on our work. And a new world is possible. It can be done. And it will be done. It must be done. Thank you. So, Charles, how can people uh, find more information about your work and your activities? Well, thanks for asking me that, Stuart. Yes, if you go to cpcml.ca, www.cpcml.ca, that stands for the Communist Party of Canada, Marxist Lenin, there's a very lively, ongoing set of journals for the workers' movement, for uh, the issue of democracy, and for general political matters. I'm sure that many of your listeners will find it of interest. Thank you so much, Charles. You have been listening to Conscious Landscapes. To hear previous episodes, to find out about forest bathing, or come on a journey on purpose with us, please visit eco-awakening.com. Bye for now.